On the slide 38, Brenda, can you do roll call, please? Yes. Lorita Mallon? Here. Niha Banger will not join us tonight. Lucia Angel? B. Franks Walker? Present. Richard Harvey Jr.? Eric Murphy will not join us tonight. Mark Smith? Here. Khalil Toki? Here. Ali Yesen? We have a quorum. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and start with A. I don't have anything in particular to share with you guys um, today, uh, other than I'm <laughs> I'm very excited that Carrie's back because I found my paper with all my questions on it. So <laughs> that should be fun. I'm excited. Um, I do want to. Uh, approve the minutes from the September 14th and the September 20th, which was our uh, strategic planning meeting. Um, can I get a motion to approve the September 14th meeting? I'll make a motion that we approve the meeting from the 14th because I was present at that meeting, but I wasn't <laughs> present at the 20th, meeting on the 20th. Thank you, Dave. Lucia Angel? 
Frank Spocker. Should I abstain since I wasn't at the meeting? Um, or should I? You, you can say A. You can, so yeah, you can abstain okay. or you can abstain. Yeah. It's up to you. Yay. Okay, Richard Hervey Jr. Yay. Eric Murphy. Mark Smith. Aye. Khalil Toki. Yeah. And Ali Yasin. Okay, are there any nays? Okay, so the minutes from the September 20th planning, strategic planning meeting are approved. Okay, um, our next uh, item is our medical director report. Damon, are you with us? I am, can you hear me? Yes, 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 yes. Good. I had to move to uh, another exam room, and I think I'm going to have uh, lights going out again. So we'll have <laughs> okay. that same fun. Um, that <laughs> sense. Um, great to be here. Uh, I just wanted to um, give a couple quick updates as part of this uh, report. Um, one is that uh, I think last month um, or earlier this month, the County Board of Supervisors um, took an action that would move us toward having a single managed Medi-Cal plan in the county. Um, oh. Currently, we have we have two managed Medi-Cal plans, Alameda Alliance for Health and Anthem Blue Cross in Alameda County. Alameda Alliance for Health has about 80% of the members on Medi-Cal. And of course, there are some, some folks who still have uh, Medi-Cal um, that is administered directly by the state, but a smaller and smaller number of people. So most of the folks you know, on Medi-Cal in Alameda County are already on Alameda Alliance. And um, I think it's just continuing a trend that I wanted you, know, you all to be aware of to kind of coordinating care across the safety net uh, more closely. Um, my understanding is that it will still require, you know, several years and some action at the state level um, before, you know, we were, if, if we were to become a one-plan county, but um, it does seem that um, there were letters of support submitted by a number of folks, and it does, that's a direction that we're, uh, that we're heading. So I thought that was just a key piece of information to pass along to, uh, to you all. And then the second update I wanted to give uh, is that um, we've gotten the preliminary report back from um, HRSA for the operational site visit that they did, uh, you know, for um, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless, which is, um, you know, we're a subrecipient of the HRSA grant from them, so HRSA doesn't visit us anymore. They just visit the county directly. And the great news is the county did really, really well on that site visit. I think HRSA was very impressed with um, the response to COVID, um, and, and pretty impressed with the um, the management that um, that healthcare for the homeless is doing of you know multiple contractors around our county in, in collaboration. Um, I think the one area um, of findings that they they asked the county to work on was um, there were there were a few small areas, but the, the large area that had a chunk of findings was billings and collections, which is not really surprising because. Um, mm -hmm. The county does not, um, as a rule, do much in the delivery, direct delivery of you know medical services. Um, and so I think you know I, I think for me it just brings up an ongoing strategic question that we have around 
what's the nature of the partnership between Alameda Health System and Alameda County? What's the nature of the governance across Alameda Health System and Alameda County? You know, we have a pretty expensive and large infrastructure to do billing and collections at Alameda Health System. Um, and in other counties, you know, that would be very much joined with the rest of the county government. So San Francisco or Santa Clara or Contra Costa, et cetera. Here it isn't. And I think, um, I think there's a big strategic question in front of our county colleagues as to whether they want to rebuild a big chunk of that in the county or, you know, um, or do they want to, you know, figure out ways to collaborate more in that area, um, you know, and, and, and especially given the fact that we're already entertaining, other processes are already entertaining close to collaborations between Alameda Health System and Alameda County. Um, so, um, you know, I think the, the sort of really good news from my, that visit is HRSA is, I think, really impressed with the programming that we're undertaking here. I think the questions that we have are really around what is the countywide strategy for, you know, being um, really um, yeah, here we go. Um, for you know, for, for building an efficient and sustainable infrastructure to fund safety net services, and uh, and I, I think that building and collection finding is is one that um, I'm going to be you know asking a lot of questions of our county colleagues. You know, how are they going to respond to that? Um, how do they see it fitting in with you know what it is we already do and have a pretty large infrastructure to do here at Alameda Health System? Um, so that's. Those two updates is really the substance of the report that I wanted to give you all, um, given that we're going to, you know, talk a lot about the strategy um, later on. But I'm happy to take any any questions or comments. Um, this is Mark. Um, hi, Damon. Uh, I do have uh, a couple things to ask in regards to this. Um, in, in my capacity of uh, sitting on another board um, at the Trust Clinic, um, I think it was discussed among our cab uh, our consumer advisory board um early last or late last year um there was um there was some talk of this uh, uh um as a requirement uh for us at the trust clinic um by uh by i believe the state if not the county or both um that that, that this was also a trouble uh, a troublesome area or considered a troublesome area uh, in regards to the patients we see at the trust clinic. And one of the things was that, um, and of course, uh, at this point in time, uh, keep in mind, uh, uh, this was during, uh, this was during the time that, uh, Trump was, uh, president. And one of the things that, um, that they were pushing was that, um, we, we pushed the issue that among our patients and the people that we see at the trust clinic, that that there be uh, a more uh, that we be more aggressive in uh, collecting fee for service, uh, and of course, uh, considering the type of patients we see, uh, that's almost uh, in a lot of cases is not possible because we're dealing with people, of course. Uh, uh, or we're dealing with a group of people who are completely indigent, meaning, you know, they don't have the resources to uh, actually pay fee-for-service. And so um, in, in discussion, we had talked about how we could, in our, in our program, 
uh, in taking on new patients, how we could possibly um, uh, speed the process up or, or at least have a procedure for people who are not currently covered uh, on any medical insurance to, um, to possibly find a way of signing those people up for actual Medi-Cal or uh, a Medi-Cal managed care plan. Um, by doing so, of course, uh, we would be reimbursed for those services uh, through those agencies, provided that we could sign up um, patients that we see that are not currently covered. Um, it, it is what I'm referring to uh, in line of what you speak of, and does that sound plausible that that would be something that uh, we as uh, as AHS would have to also look at in terms of being aggressive in trying to um, it, uh, register people, sign up people uh, for actual uh, Medi-Cal coverage. It's somewhat in line with uh, with the findings from from HRSA. Um, I think the findings that the county shared with us were primarily just about the infrastructure to do billing and collections versus the success of, you know, your ability to collect, actually collect money. So they didn't have much to do with the fact that, you know, the, the, you know, the county wasn't collecting a lot of money. Um, it, it wasn't like a, we, we expect you to collect more money for what it is you're doing. It was more that the infrastructure to do the things you're talking about doing. So having, you know, a charge master, which tells you how much it costs for each service, using that charge master to then generate a bill, send the bill to the state, get paid by the state for the service that you provide, um, mm -hmm. that, that, that there wasn't even really an infrastructure to do those, to do those things. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a level even before you get to the idea of now that we're doing those things, are we, you know, are we, how well are we doing those things, right? It's just can you, can you do these things at baseline? Um, so it, it's related, but I think it's an even more basic step that, that, um, that I think HRSA is asking the county to make sure it's built um, in, internally. I see. And, and, uh, and one other question. since Alameda Health System split from the county in the late 90s, 
they, the county has not rebuilt the same kind of infrastructure that we have here to, to bill and collect for primary care services. And while I was there, we talked about it a couple times and, and thought about it, but didn't really initiate any big steps to do it. I think one of the questions um, will, will be sort of, you know, to what extent is this response going to be, let's meet the letter of the regulations um, versus to what extent it's going to be, we're actually trying to create a mechanism for billing here. And then if that's the case, you know, there's a whole bunch of things tied to that around, um, for example, electronic health records. And, and, you know, so are we going to purchase another instance of another electronic health record in our county? Again, this, this duplicative infrastructure, I think, would be a big strategic decision for the county to make. Um, or to not produce a, you know, duplicative infrastructure would also be a big decision for the county to make. So I think... I think it's important, you know, just that we pay attention to, to how the county responds to the, those findings in that area of billings and collections. By the way, based on what you just said, here's another question, and this is my last question regarding this issue. Um, based on that, um, do we, uh, as an entity, do we have any power at all in order to streamline the process to make it easier for us to actually meet those, uh, that criteria? Uh, does the co-applicant board as an entity have any power to streamline the approach to meeting the criteria? I think not so much. I think, uh, I think it, well, as a, not, not, not necessarily us, but, uh, with us involved, uh, generally as a hospital, as a hospital, do we have the power, uh, maybe not rested in our board, but maybe uh, with with our cooperation uh, with um, other boards across AHS, do we have a do we have the power as a hospital entity to possibly streamline the process uh, to make it easier to meet those requirements? Well, I, I think what it most closely relates to is that you know you and um, and uh, our chair Loretta have have been involved in, you know, um, recommending that the Board of Trustees and Board of Supervisors, the Board of Trustees of Alameda Health System, the Board of Supervisors of the county, really involve Consumer Voice and our co-applicant board as an example of Consumer Voice in considering these questions about how should the county take care of people experiencing homelessness? How much should it spend on infrastructure? How, how valuable is it to have two different infrastructures versus one infrastructure? Should we should Alameda Health System be part of the county again? These are the questions that are being considered right now, and I think um, you know in the in the process in the stakeholder process that was conducted by an outside consulting agency, there was a single consumer that was consulted in that stakeholder process. So, I think this relates more to that idea of how can we build you know a, a structure for this co-applicant board and other you know, consumer representative bodies to legitimately engage in designing the future of, of you know, the safety net in Alameda County. Um, I, I think okay. that's, that's where the connection is. And I think sometimes these findings can be, you know, framed as just these pure technical issues. But the idea of building an infrastructure for billing and collections that 23 years ago you gave up purposefully to another entity, I think should, should prompt, you know, higher level strategic thinking and, and involvement of, 
Okay. Thank you. Okay. Do you have anything else, Damon, on that? No, nothing. Um, and okay. glad to see that David Motorsbach has joined us. Okay. Hey, Hi, David. Hi, David. Hi, you all. Should I jump into this part of the agenda? Damon, Loretta? On, on Chi Chi Greenhouse? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, Damon. Sure. So um, I'll just briefly say that, um, you know, I obviously worked in the county for healthcare for the homeless. Um, and I started after uh, Gigi had already left the organization. But, um, you know, from my perspective, her stamp on healthcare for the homeless was really powerful. You know, the, the fact that it was centered in, in community, um, I think all about health equity before before, you know, it was a buzzword. Um, the fact that I think we, you know, our program there um, really um, supported a lot of the growth of the leadership of the county. You know, people like the current public health director came through that program and sort of this idea of, of a close team and mentorship. I think a lot of that stuff came from, uh, came from Gigi. And she recently passed away and um, our colleagues were able to um, have a celebration of her life. and. I just thought it would be important for someone, you know, who knew her well to um, just come here and tell us a little bit about her and, and how she relates to our history. And so that's why I in invited um, David today. Thanks. So David, please go ahead. Thank yeah. You. Yeah, I'd like, I'm just sharing a, a photo of, of Gigi in, in action. Um, yeah, Gigi Greenhouse was the, um, basically the first director of the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program, and she led the program from its um, initiation in 1990 to until, until her re retirement in 2013. Um, like Damon said, she was a, a huge force um, for change and really for love in the world around her. She lived her whole life in um, in struggle, in a good struggle, she um, she was born and lived her entire life with life-threatening um, chronic disease. She wasn't supposed to live past age nine, and then past age eighteen, and et cetera, et cetera. But she stayed. She she continued throughout, struggling the whole time with life-threatening um, illness. But um, from the beginning, as a child, she integrated every school that she went to, for elementary school, middle school, and high school. She was the person who went, the first African-American child who went to those schools, um, mm -hmm. formerly all-white schools. And um, she was, you know, part of her, her family was a bunch of kids and a single mom who worked every day of her life. Mm -hmm. um, and so she did not have it easy growing up, but she made it through college and then um, started um, working, always knew that she was going to work for social change. Um, was working in, in corporate grants for the first few years of her um, after college and then realized that grant, giving grants wasn't where it was at. It was doing the work. And she moved um, to start working in, in, the, in the West Coast and the Bay Area um, with uh, families um, that were in prison and jail and Santa Rita and worked with doing that for a long time. And while she was doing that, she organized social workers all over the, the Bay Area, especially African-American social workers. 
um, and took our took the job at Healthcare for the Homeless when when this health center was was started. And she definitely, like Damon said, left left a huge imprint both on our program but on the na national way that healthcare for the homeless um, is done. Um, healthcare for the homeless program. We were really one of the first super focused mobile health programs of all the healthcare for the homeless programs. And, and it was under her leadership that we really took it to took healthcare for the homeless to the streets with mobile clinics. And she kind of developed those programs and um, pushed those along and taught those to people across the country. She was a founding member of the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council too, the kind of nationwide organization that she helped kind of create that pushes for, um, that brings healthcare for the homeless providers across the country together and helps us develop how, how we do our work. But here at Healthcare for the Homeless, um, she was really into inclusion, bringing people in, bringing them up, helping them advance their work and their careers. Um, although we were part of the county, kind of a, a crazy structure and sometimes a bit of a brutal structure, especially during the, the late 90s when, the, when AHS was splitting off from the county and there was a lot of chaos, she was really protective of her staff, let us do our work. And um, she kind of fought those battles, the higher level battles on her own. Let us just focus on homeless health care services. Um, she was a really great person. I think everybody that knew her um, would it agree. Was. Yeah. Um, she got um, more ill and tired. Um, by the time she retired, it was time for her to check kind of to, to check out and let kind of the new wave happen, um, and that's what she did in 2013. She retired to, to live with her family um, in um, Fresno, where she passed away unexpectedly, actually, um, a few, almost a month ago. Um, we missed her terribly. She left a huge imprint on, on the Healthcare for the Homeless program. Um, some, of, some of what she does stays with us. Um, one of the things that really affected me and, and struck me most about her was that when, when I came into doing homeless work, she was the person talking about homeless men. You know, un, unusually, whenever people talked about homeless, they're always talking about, oh, the poor homeless families, that's a big deal. But they weren't talking about the people who were like grinding it out on the street, suffering. And she, she really made it a point of hers personally to say, look, look out for the men who are on the streets suffering and the people who are actually on the streets. And she kind of just raised that, that was her personal thing. And she, she shared with us the ability to, to focus on the people that we were working with and um, never to lose that, that focus on the persons. Um, that, really, that really impressed me and struck me about her and that, that never stopped. Things have changed a lot since she left. We've had to really, grow the program in terms of enrollment and managed care and compliance and health center standards and, and all that. And as we've done that, our program has changed since, since the days of Gigi. But I think that core, those core values will, will stay the same. And, and we really need to keep some of her core values of equity, inclusion, of, of working with the people that we're working and bringing ourselves up um, in our work and an explicit focus on 
social determinants of health, race equity, and who's doing the work for mm -hmm. whom and for what end. Um, those are all things that were really important to Gigi. So we're all taking these moments to, to um, respect and remember Gigi and commit ourselves to carrying out her, her work. So, um, thank you, Damon and Heather, and you all for giving me a chance just to, um, to share a little bit more about Gigi. There will be a life um, celebration of her life in December on her um, near her birthday, December 18th, um, that I'll share with you all. Thank you so much. I wish I had known her. She sounds like a fabulous woman. Yeah. She was. Uh, yeah, that's wonderful. Damon, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I just uh, very thankful, you know, that David could come and, and share and um, and say I think you know Gigi is definitely uh still with us in in so many people i mean uh every everyone you know that i've worked with in in the county who was around at that time you know just has great stories and carries forward mm -hmm. that work i mean robert ratner who's now down in santa cruz i think got his start in alameda county he's directing all of their housing and health work and he got his start wow. as, a, as a medical student on the van with Gigi and and talks about how that you know set him up for what what he does um, so just, you know, one more example, but there's, there's like hundreds of people around. And I think she's someone who really simultaneously impacted the, the systems, you know, that we work in, um, but also just really clearly the people that we work with. And, um, so really, I'm really glad that mm -hmm. uh, David, you could come and, and share with us. Thank you so much for that. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you, David. Hey, our item E. Uh, Carrie Abbott came to speak about um, the homeless situation and homeless care and coordination. And um, like Heather said, because of technical difficulties, we were not allowed to ask questions because she got cut off. And um, I don't know if any of you, I have a, a page full of questions that I was writing down as she was giving her presentation. But um, I wanted to say one thing, um, Carrie, I did watch the um, the opening on YouTube of the Tiny Homes in Fairmont, and that was really, really lovely. And I, I'm just so, so impressed with what they have done up there. I think it's just fantastic. Thank so if you, you want to take it, Carrie, from here, see a few things. Sure. Um, mostly, I just wanted to uh, come back. As you said, it was, uh, you know, it was unfortunate last time I got to uh, give you all my presentation and then my internet crashed and I wasn't able to answer any questions or have any conversations. So, um, you know, happy to take questions if you have them, if you remember them. Um, and thank you for uh, watching the Tiny Homes opening. That was a really, a really special moment, um, as you mm -hmm. said. And I'm uh, happy to announce that we now have, uh, t as of today, there are 32 of the Tiny Homes uh, units are occupied. And we've had almost 100% um, full rooms in the medical respite side of that uh, since since it opened uh, since that first week so that's been really great uh, to have that resource um, mm -hmm. you know in mid-county in the unincorporated area so. 
I don't know if, if uh, I heard wrong, but I thought that you said the maximum time um, a person could stay there would be a year, up to a year. Is that correct? Because I heard something different, I think, in the... I know yeah, we um, need to make sure we need to make sure everyone gets their story straight. Yeah. So yeah. essentially, essentially, people start out with 45 days in the medical respite side, and then if they are working on a housing plan with the housing navigators, then they can be extended um, into the 90-day program in the navigation center side. And if you're in the navigation center side and you're working on a housing plan then you can also have an extension after the 90 days. There isn't a set oh. amount of time, but obviously at some point the housing navigators expect people to move to housing if they've received a housing offer. Right, right, correct. And how so are the ideas? Sorry. How are they chosen? Like, um, is there a list? Like, you know, for example, Section 8, there's a running list and they, you know, constantly call people when it's open from that. How does um, your program do it? Well, so in the beginning, uh, the street health teams uh, were able to reach out to people who are unsheltered uh, in the unincorporated area specifically to try to really make a difference in unsheltered homelessness in that neighborhood. And then as we move forward, both this navigation center and the navigation center in Hayward will use a triage um, so kind of a list that's created for emergency shelter and transitional programs uh, okay. for mid-county generally. So Hayward will use the same queue okay. that the Fairmont campus will use. I see. So uh, is each city kind of doing it that way where they're well, trying to house their own? Mm -hmm. Well, each region of the county has a coordinated entry access point, and they keep a shelter or crisis queue for people who are unsheltered. And so we use those queues for placements into the navigation centers or shelters in those areas. So, for example, there's one in North County. There's a queue for North County. There's a queue for Oakland. This one is for Mid-County. There's also one for South and one for East. Oh, I see. Uh, this is Khalil. I had a question. Sorry, guys. I'm calling in by the phone, so I don't know how to raise my hi, hand. Hi, Khalil. There, but, hi. Uh, just a quick question. So, um, I basically I operate the Hayward Annex program in Hayward, and um, one of the issues that I ran into, and that was about like about a couple weekends ago, um, we had a well, we had a client that was staying at the Hayward Annex that we weren't aware of a medical condition that she never really disclosed to us. And so she ended up going in and out of the hospital a lot. So, um, and then when she was at the hospital, we actually reached out to the social worker in the hospital to let them know that uh, this individual needs more of a high level of care than what we can provide. Um, so the social worker put a referral into tiny homes and she was accepted. She's still there. Um, but the question that I ran into like about a couple of weeks ago was that uh, there was another client that was at Sally's place. Uh, that was not a really good fit, and so they, that individual ended up going to the hospital. So they were calling me from, was it Eden Hospital? Or was, I forgot which one. They were calling me, trying to get that individual into tiny homes, and I told them that they need to, uh, what is the referral process? I would really like to know uh -huh. how can we refer people because 
I didn't have that information because my care coordinator uh, was talking to the social work at the hospital for the previous client that we were able to get into the tiny homes, but um, not much information was shared with me, so I really didn't know the process. So when I got a call from the hospital and they wanted that individual to go to tiny homes and I told them that they needed to put a referral in, they wanted to know how to do it, and I really didn't have the answer. So I told them just to reach out to Boz and talk to somebody there and ask them what the referral process is. I just wanted to know, does the hospitals have a referral to the tiny homes that they can use if a client ends up going to the emergency? Yeah, so the, the hospitals, um, the hospital social workers in Mid-County should know how to make those referrals into the medical respite beds if someone's eligible for the medical respite side. But, um, that, so those referrals are just available to Mid-County hospitals and to the street health teams in Mid-County. Um, and then the navigation center beds that BOSS uh, provides the services for uh, those referrals are through the access points um, and also through street health teams. I mean, honestly, most of the referrals so far have come through to Mauricio Vasquez, uh, oh. at least in those first few weeks. So. Mm -hmm. But Khalil, if, if uh, for this specific issue, if you, I mean, if you want to email me and I can follow up uh, to make sure that hospital staff that you're working with have all the information they need and we can follow up and make sure they have it. Okay, yeah, I would, I, I would really appreciate that because I just don't want to run into a situation again and uh, she said that she wasn't, that hospital didn't have social work at the time, so she was the, uh, I guess the uh, RN, she was the one mm -hmm. that was putting referrals in, so she just wanted all the information. So, but just to get it clear, um, so the program is 45 days for the medical side, and then after that, if they're working and they're in HMIS and uh, Alameda County uh, assessment, uh, conditional entry assessment, and then they can move to the housing part for 90 days, and if they're engaged in the program and actually looking for housing, and then they can get extension, right? Is that, is that what you said? Oh, that's, the, that's the intention. No one's been there 90 days yet. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's the intention. <laughs> Um, and it, it's a good reminder that we need to make sure that the messaging is clear. I know it is a little bit confusing with the, you know, having slightly different models and expectations based on the, you know, starting out in medical respite. And I do want to clarify that people don't have to switch uh, units to convert from the medical respite side to the navigation center side. They're not actual sides. Um, hi, um, this is Mark. Um, I, I had a couple questions. I didn't get to see the I didn't get to see um, um, the video piece on on on, on uh, the uh, tiny homes. But here's my question: uh, Where geographically are the tiny homes uh, currently exist, and is there plans uh, to uh, uh, to expand that model to other communities? That's my first question. And my second question, uh, what is your answer to any argument that some, uh, that some people have made that uh, by providing tiny homes, what, you're, what, you're, uh, what you are doing, whether you realize it or not, you're actually extending the, 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 the psychology of being homeless and not uh, at, uh, in the terms of people not making effort to actually find permanent housing is just perpetuating homelessness by allowing them to go to tiny homes, which 
yes, serve a purpose, but yet they are technically still homeless in the fact that they don't have a real address, mailing address, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what, if any, argument uh, do you make or do you have regarding uh, that issue? Because a lot of times that does come up where people challenge uh, this this particular approach because they say it actually perpetuates homelessness because people who want to stay on the street may be willing to, to move to a tiny, uh, to, to tiny town, but when you start talking to them about actually moving into real permanent housing, that, uh, AKA, really off the streets, uh, they don't feel any uh, incentive to do so uh, because of the service you provide. Thank you, Mark. Um, so let's see. So the first question was where uh, in the county? So that's on the Fairmont campus uh, in the unincorporated area. Um, it's near uh, Willow Rock and Cherry Hill, um, where the old Fairmont Hospital is located. And the county, in terms of possible additional sites, the county doesn't own a lot of uh, property that can easily be developed in this way. Um, you know, and if there is a piece of property that the county owns that can be developed, I think we're going to look at what the best model is for that site. You know, if it's more, if it's, um, more urban and level and the site, uh, has utilities and so on, I think we would want to look at like, maybe we could put housing there. Um, you know, I, in this case, it had already been planned to uh, develop as a navigation center and originally was planned to be a dormitory style. And then uh, we had been about to break ground when uh, the pandemic hit. And so we uh, really tried to quickly assess what we could do with the site um, in a non-congregate setting. And we were able to work with Firm Foundation and with our um, Housing and Community Development Department to come up with a way to have non-congregate or, you know, uh, units with walls instead of a dorm-style shelter. Um, and it took around the same amount of time as the dorm-style shelter would have taken. So we were really happy to be able to use the property well, even in a pandemic and in a place that is safer uh, given COVID. And then in terms of the, uh, like, why bring people inside and does that extend homelessness? Um, a couple of things that I know, it, you know, and of course, every individual is different. Um, but a couple of things I know, uh, one is that the length of time people spend homeless in Alameda County is very, very long. And if people have to spend all of that time outside, uh, trying to move into a permanent housing option, then they are more likely to um, become victims of violence. They're more likely to uh, encounter, you know, uh, other other problems, theft. Um, you know, they're more likely to end up uh, interacting with the criminal justice system, and um, and we're seeing a much higher rate of housing placements from our non-congregate settings, like the hotel shelters, than we are from uh, encampments or other unsheltered situations, or even from congregate shelters. Uh, we're seeing, you know, we've seen under 25% of the people who would normally be working with um, street outreach programs 
uh, going directly into permanent supportive housing or into any kind of permanent housing. And then from the congregate shelters, you might see 35 or 40 percent. From the hotel shelters, where we have significant healthcare resources and we have housing navigators, and you know we've been working on um, pairing subsidies with the sites, we're seeing over 70 percent of the people we're working with who exit are going to housing. Um, and so that's, you know, it's not shortening the length of time people are homeless, but it's really changing the situation in which they're experiencing homelessness. And it's allowing us to help connect people to really, really critical services. Can I ask one more question? Of course. Based on what you just said, uh, out of curiosity, uh, um, Whomever, um, whomever avails himself or is, uh, is able uh, to uh, receive services from you, are you collecting any uh, racial disparity uh, data or ra racial, uh, uh, basically the racial makeup uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, the number of people of color versus uh, Caucasian? Or in other words, are you keeping like records, uh, statistics about um, generally uh, the race and um, sex of the people that you are uh, serving, and um, also their uh, age groups? Because uh, I think it would be helpful to know um, um, to know those stats because that that could help us target uh, certain groups that might be. Um, may not uh, be benefiting as much from the service as they possibly could um, for various reasons. And it would be a good idea to know um, statistically who those groups might be, uh, at least to my mind. And I'm just wondering if, if anyone's collecting that kind of data uh, yeah. in, in, the <laughs> in the service you provide. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can tell you for the so for the hotel shelters, uh, which we now have had open for a year and a half, we've been collecting data um, actually kind of since before day one because um, you know Damon mentioned Robert Ratner at the time we were opening the hotels, Robert and I um, asked for data from the um, Social Health Information Exchange and to compare that data with our homelessness database to see if we create this screening criteria for people at high risk for COVID, then what is that going to look like demographically? Because we know that in our system in Alameda County, we have way more people who are African-American who are homeless than get married in the percentage in the population and a higher percent than any other racial group. And so we wanted to make sure if that's what the homeless population looks like, then we need to make sure that's who we're serving with this program. And we didn't want to, by layering eligibility on the program, we didn't want to change who we're serving. And so what we found um, at the time was that if we use the COVID high risk criteria, then we would end up with about half of the people coming in would be African-American, which is the percentage in the Alameda County homeless population. It's about 47% African-American. And so what we have done is we pull 
um, the data we're collecting every week in the hotel shelters to figure out if we are still serving people proportionally to the homeless population. And we hold up next to the point in time count on homelessness what our population is in the hotel shelters. And um, currently, the, so the point in time count was 47% African-American, and the people we've served in the hotel shelters have been 48% African-American. And we do that with the other races and ethnicities as well to make sure that we're trying to, that we're really serving people um, proportionately across the board. Um, so that's actually, that's been uh, uh, one of our primary goals is to make sure that we're uh, providing an equitable response. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, Carrie, uh, I have another question too. Um, the hotel rooms, um, are those being, are any of those being used as permanent housing? <laughs> sort of. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we did, we did buy two of the hotels um, right. last November, December, um, the Comfort and Days Hotels. And we have not yet converted them from safer ground to permanent supportive housing, partly because we've been trying to identify developer partners um, for doing the rehab that would be needed. Um, and partly because we've had an ongoing need for the non-congregate shelter um, because COVID has not gone away. And so we're now at the point where the COVID numbers are more stabilized and dropping. Knock wood, please, because mm -hmm. I said that once before. Um, and so we're preparing to offer people in those two sites. We, we prioritize people into those two sites if they were already high priority for permanent supportive housing. Um, so already kind of they've gone through the assessment and we know that they're people that we would want to offer permanent supportive housing to. Um, and so people have been in there as non-congregate shelter. We will now offer them the opportunity to uh, sign a lease and retain that unit. And then new people coming in to those two sites, once we do that conversion, new people will be brought in from the coordinated entry housing queue. Um, mm -hmm. So those will then officially be permanent supportive housing. Oh, that's great. That's excellent. Um, and who, who builds the tiny homes? Like, for example, the ones on the Fairmont campus, um, who funds that? We were, so we had a combination of uh, funding sources, which is the usual if, you know, whenever you're building something. Um, so we had county, um, county funding that was set aside for construction um, and for the unincorporated area. And so that money went into it. And then we were also able to use some of the CARES money um, from the federal COVID response that went to the county um, for the additional cost because it did cost more, uh, you know, going to this tiny homes model and making sure that we had at least a third of the unit's wheelchair roll-in accessible. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It did cost more than the original plan. And so we were able to use some of the CARES money to make up that difference. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you, Carrie. Hey, um, this is Mark again. One other quick question. 
Um, other, uh, other than the African-American community, uh, which you already um, uh, pointed out statistically, represents a large portion of the people you serve. I was just wondering, uh, do you provide, um, as part of the program, uh, language services for people who have a language barrier, uh, specifically Hispanic and, uh, and uh, possible Asian clients? Um, there, there are some situations where if someone speaks a, you know, very unusual or less common language, I shouldn't say unusual, just less common in our county, um, where we have needed to use uh, social services staff or language line assistance. Um, but we have had um, our providers have Spanish speaking, um, and I believe not in every single site, but we do that. We do have agencies that have um, Mandarin, Cantonese, uh, Vietnamese, and we even have brought in the social services agency brought in mom speakers um, when we had uh, mom only speaking oh. clients. Right. And the, and the Mien group as well. I know we have a lot of Mien people in um, Oakland. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I, I, like, I didn't see those requests mm -hmm. directly. I know that we set up all the threshold languages in the beginning of the program to make sure that we have the same uh, threshold languages as the county requirements and the housing authority requirements. Right. Okay. Any other questions for Terry? Um, I have one more. This is Mark. Um, um, currently, given where you are now in your in your program, um, what if anything um, can we do um, as AHS or um, the community at large um, could do to possibly um, support your program? And what else do you think that you might need? Um, that will require funding currently um, given where the program is now? An interesting question. And I think, so there's the, the hotel program, there's the tiny homes program, and then there's kind of the OHCC uh, work in general. I think, I, I think there are a lot of opportunities for collaboration. Um, I will tell you that um, like the first, my first thought when you said, you know, what can AHS do and what can we do is uh, that, you know, Damon was out there, uh, you know, bringing, bringing in really, really vulnerable people who had COVID or who needed to shelter in place, um, you know, just absolutely on the front lines and, you know, side by side with, uh, with our healthcare for the homeless team and, um, and with our nonprofit providers um, every single day. Um, and so I, you know, just from that perspective, um, we're just, we're really grateful um, for that partnership. I think that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of strategic planning happening over the next year. And, you know, we're working uh, more and more closely with healthcare for the homeless and thinking about how, um, how medical care gets really integrated throughout our systems, um, you know, trying to strengthen our shelter health, um, trying to strengthen street health. And 
Um, also trying to think about how we uh, strengthen healthcare services in permanent supportive housing. We have, you know, as you know, an aging population. Uh, we have a lot of really medically fragile people who have, who are formerly homeless and, um, you know, still are not necessarily as connected to um, all of the care that they need. So I think that there are just really tremendous opportunities um, to, to really grow our work together and, just very much appreciate that partnership. Thank you. Definitely. Definitely. Are there any other questions? Comments? Carrie, again, I just want to tell you, thank you for your program. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed by it. I'm very um, encouraged by it. And um, I just, I can envision this happening all over the Bay Area. I really can. And Great. I think it's wonderful. Oh, thank so you so it, much. It, it makes me excited. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm, I'm glad we can feel good about this. And uh, yeah. thank you all for your partnership. Um, and uh, just, you know, invite me back whenever or uh, shoot me an email and um, take care. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thank, Thank you so much, Carrie. Bye. Thank you. Okay. That's great. Okay, now we're coming up to um, agenda item F. And this is about um, an evaluation of our director. I'm going to go ahead and read the background here, some Mark, so you can hear what this is about, too. Thank you. Um, a project director is a required position of HRSA health centers. A health center can determine the appropriate qualifications and title for the project director. AHS, in collaboration with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, determined that a medical director would be the best title and position for AHS to lead the Homeless Health Center. In June of 2019, the CAB was launched to govern the AHS Homeless Health Center. An ad hoc committee was established by the CAB uh, in August 2019 to review candidates and support the selection of the permanent medical director in collaboration with the ambulatory leadership team. Dr. Damon Francis accepted the position and began his role as medical director of the AHS Homeless Health Center on February 23, 2020. Per the HRSA Health Center Compliance Manual, the medical director carries out independent day-to-day -day oversight of health center activities solely on behalf of the governing board. While the Homeless Health Center's medical director is directly employed by the health center AHS, they report to the governing board. The CAB has the authority to approve the selection, termination, or dismissal of the health center project director. The CAB is required to evaluate the project director, but may determine the process and frequency of evaluation <clears throat> through the board action. So um, in talking about this and analyzing this, the CAB has um, discretion on how to fulfill its required responsibilities, including the timeline, the process and method of evaluation of the medical director. The proposed process is this. Um, Staff distribute, distributes the medical director evaluation packet um, to the CAB and the medical director annually at the CAB meeting that takes place 
minimum of one full month prior to their hire date anniversary. Example, January, because he was hired in February. Um, in that packet, you're going to have a medical director self-evaluation form, which Damon would fill out. Um, you'll have the medical director job description, and you'll have a standard memo describing the evaluation process. Um, after those are filled out, the CAB receives and reviews the self-evaluation during closed session annually at the CAB meeting, which follows step one, which would be in February. Provides its personal evaluation by verbal feedback to the medical director during the closed session annually at the CAB meeting following step two, which would be uh, March. So, um, prior action January 20 was the approval of the ad hoc committee's recommendation to extend an offer to either of the two candidates for the program director position. And the board action requested approved uh, medical director evaluation process. So, um, that's that's where we're at right now. We want to have we have to um, evaluate our director, and so we came up with um, a simple yet what we felt was thorough um, evaluation process that the board could be involved with, and also Damon could be involved with evaluating himself. So this is open for discussion. Um, it's an action item, so we're going to vote on it tonight. Um, does, does anybody have questions or I comments? Do. I yes. do. Um, Go ahead. I, uh, I'm a little confused, um, so um, please bear with me. Uh, basically, um, if I understand what you just read or, or what you just said, um, mm -hmm. basically we're, we're, uh, we're voting whether or not to make Damon, uh, other than our medical director, to also be our project manager. Is, am I wrong? No, 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 not no. What we're voting on tonight is the um, the process of the evaluation of our medical director. Oh, it's I never see. been oh, done before. Oh, it's, oh you I know, see. It's okay. never been done. Yeah. So the the three steps that I mentioned, you know, the medical director would do a self evaluation, and then um, we'd have the medical director job description, so you can see if you know. Uh, view his position compared to that, and then a standard memo describing the evaluation process. And okay. so um, tonight, that's you know, being that this is the first time we've ever done this, uh, we're voting to um, approve the evaluation process. Okay, and the evaluation the evaluation process um, it it is composed by whom and. Uh, what does it actually entail? And, um, obviously, uh, some kind of evaluation uh, at different points. Has it already been set aside as to when those evaluations uh, can or should be made? Well, we said um, yearly. It would be done yearly. And um, the uh, medical director would do his self-evaluation and um, the board would receive that and look at it with, in regards to uh, the job description and um, a memo describing the evaluation process. So that's, that's the process we're thinking would happen right now. I see, okay. Yearly. And so one month before the yearly an 
anniversary, uh, the, the packet would be uh, passed out. Then, um, so for example, uh, Damon started in February. So in January, we pass out the packet to, uh, to him and to all the board members. And then in uh, February, um, he would return, he has a month to return his self-evaluation packet to us. And then uh, the next month, we would uh, in, have a closed session meeting um, to discuss it. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And you're simply asking us to vote on whether or not uh, that's the, uh, that we um, choose uh, that to be the path forward. Yeah, if, if choose if this is a, a process that will fulfill our first requirement and um, and accomplish what it's, it's meant to do, which is to evaluate the um, medical director. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I for one uh, uh, make a motion that uh, that uh, that this be passed. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Second. Thank you, B. I just want to add, you do have the opportunity, if you feel that this process isn't adequate, if you wanted to add more to this process, you can. So mm -hmm. some examples of additional things to include could be um, requesting feedback from, um, for example, from a colleague of Damon's that works with him on sites to include that might be part of the packet. So some, some ideas might include would you include anything else in this packet? Would you ask anybody else to participate outside of the CAV and Damon? Um, mm -hmm. but, but, and just to clarify for you, Mark, also a project director is what is the title that HRSA uses, but here at Alameda Health System, we okay. use okay. medical director, but it is the same thing. Oh, um, I see, okay. See, sometimes you'll see that language. I, um, I'm sorry, I interchanged it in the memo for you. Um, but it is the same. We're talking about the same thing. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, there is one question I do have, or or, or something I like to put forth as as part of the process, is that um, um, if if it's not included, I'd like to include um, in the evaluation uh, that there be a period uh, at which time uh, before uh, consideration. Uh, that we um, have a, a, a basically uh, some time um, as a group uh, to Damon uh, to present, uh, uh, to have a Q&A. Um, is Q&A so part of that process? So during um, the, third, the third step in the process currently is described as the time you'd be providing verbal feedback from Damon. Uh, to Damon, uh, we could include some language that indicates that it's a conversation with Damon. Yeah, which I would like to have. So I'm going to, sorry, this is Kayla, I'm going to interject here. So that third part is include sessions, so you, you're technically, you don't have to say exactly what you're going to do as part of your evaluation in that process. So if you end up having a conversation, doing Q&A, that's totally up to the board within closed sessions. Oh, I see. Okay. But I mean, what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at, is um, the ability to ask uh, Damon any questions re regarding uh, uh, his position. That's all. Yes, the board has the ability to conduct evaluations. 
evaluations within closed sessions, which includes conversations, questions, um, you know, what, whatever that entails. This is just the process, which is describing the packet the first month. The second month is a closed session in which the board can meet without Damon and discuss what he had put on his self-evaluation. The third month is that opportunity to talk about, you know, his self-evaluation in that third mm -hmm. month. I see. Okay. And the self-evaluation, I think, generates the questions for for him as well as for us, you know, because he's evaluating himself to see if he's fulfilling those um, the job description and, and other things. And to brag about himself if he's doing a fantastic job, you know, we need to hear about that too. So. Maybe so, I'll Mark, you... And I think from my perspective, like, I think the most important thing is really um, to maximize the co-applicant's board ability, board's ability to give me, like, meaningful, evaluative information and, like, and direct me toward, you know, um, areas to focus on, you know, continuing to do or stopping to do or improving. Um, and... And so I think, you know, the, 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 the more the co-applicant board does that, the easier it will be for me to do my job within Alameda Health System. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, and I, I think, um, so I think, you know, I, I really appreciate um, the, you know, um, Mark's recommendation to just make sure we have a conversation. And I, and I'm, I hope that the spirit of that is like, here's what we really want to see, you know, um, and I, I think um, we can we can work with a self evaluation for sure. Um, but I'm I'm very open to you know any process you all want to do that maximizes your ability to tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let me. Um, this is Mark again. Let me make it clear. Um, and, and 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 I'm only talking to. I cannot speak for the board. I'm only speaking for myself. Uh, the the, the Q&A aspect of it, uh, the only reason why I raised it was uh, was certainly not uh, not in terms of questioning uh, Damon's competence. Uh, he's one of the most competent people I know, and uh, is not to judge his competence. Uh, that to me is a given. All I want to know uh, by by having a conversation is to is to uh, is to get his ideas and his vision about what he would like to see and whether or not um, we, we uh, as a group concur with that vision. And if we do so, what, what can we do to make his job easier and, and, and make it uh, and, and, uh, and, and do everything we can uh, to make his responsibilities, which are great, uh, to make them less of a burden and make them easier for him to accomplish and and that uh, in that respect is what I meant by uh, having being able to have a conversation with him uh, to, to, to hear his vision and what we can do uh, if we support that vision what we can do uh, to help him accomplish that yeah, I just want to add on to that um, just I know we think about Damon a lot this is a process that's about the project director and medical director specifically, um, it's, it will be 
leveraged with Damon this year, but it is meant to be a, a system by which we can, uh, the, the CAB can use even if there's a different medical director. So I do want you to think of it very much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I hear our, our confidence and, and uh, appreciation for Damon. Think maybe a little bit also, what if, what if the medical director wasn't as competent? Is there, is there something in this process that allows you to get to that? And is that helpful or is that something that, we're, uh, that is missing? So that might be another way to think about it. Try to take Damon out of the equation for a moment and, and just think through how you're able to identify both good and opportunity. Well, this is This is Mark again. Um, I, I understand what you're saying, Heather, and um, um, yes, I use Damon's name a lot, but, but I think what I said could apply to anyone who might be medical director. However, uh, you do raise a, a, a really good point. Um, what if we do encounter in the future someone who is not competent or we don't believe to be competent, uh, what, 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 if anything, do we do uh, regarding that particular issue? And, and, and certainly we should form questions or inquiry about um, what we should do about someone who isn't and what kind of questions we need to ask to find out if, if in fact, uh, they are competent. So, so, um, so your point is not lost on me. Um, I think what I raise uh, could be applied to anyone, but I do understand what you're saying about uh, the need to uh, possibly also ask questions or at least present questions uh, or discussion uh, when it comes to somebody who may not be competent. So, um, so, uh, so I certainly agree with what you said. I think that that's one of the main reasons also that we included the um, job description. I mean, you have to have something to compare it to or, you know, um, along with um, the director's own self-evaluation of what he or she has accomplished through the year. But um, if we had somebody that was totally incompetent and wasn't meeting the, the goals of, of the director, what his job description or her job description was, then that's a whole different story. That that's a whole different process, right, Heather? Yeah. Well, yeah, it may come up in evaluation. So primarily, um, the the question, and and I know that Loretta, we worked on developing this together, and I, I still mm -hmm. think it's a, a good process. I hadn't thought through um, as you know another opportunity to think through. A self evaluation could be adequate to determine that. You know, if you're giving feedback that you disagreed with the director's self-evaluation, then you'd be able to provide that feedback. So, so it is a tool. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, you could leverage the dot job description as well, and we have this this process. I imagine that um, we could look into um, if you need. You know, this is an annual process, so mm -hmm. once a year, it could be that we need. Um, a, a tool to leverage prior than one year in, in, in that case, I, that might be something that's different, right? So this is a HRSA requirement for a policy. If we had a different medical director that started out that wasn't um, 
a good fit. I don't, uh, you certainly as a board have the capacity and authority to remove them from the position and I don't think that you have to have gone through the evaluation process to mm -hmm. do that action. Like you, you have the authority to remove them. Um, so so I, it, it may be separate from this issue. It was just um, an idea to think through whether or not all the steps in the process were to be adequate. But I think the removal could happen even without the evaluation process after a year. You might know prior to a year. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just sorry to say, again, I'm just going to interject here that there are separate ways of doing that under the Brown Act where if there was a complaint or, you know, some basis mm -hmm. to review a medical director, you could meet in closed session and discuss that. Um, this agenda item is just for the annual review and thinking yeah. about that in terms of statement and then moving forward for other directors that may be in place. Super, thanks, Keila. Yep. Thank you. So, Mark, you, uh, you motion that um, we approve this process, correct? Um, um, given, given its current structure, um, yes, I do. Okay. Someone want to second it? I did, and I still second it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, let me um, do roll call here. Uh, B. Franks Walker, A or yay or nay? The Chair Hervey? Yes. A. Eric Murphy? Mark Smith? Aye. Uh, Khalil Toki? Aye. And Ali Yassin? Okay. Are there any nays? Then um, I move that this, this process of um, evaluating the director uh, is, is approved. I second. Uh, not a motion, just the motion is approved. Right, Laura? Just, yeah. Yeah, it's approved. Yes, yes. Hey, I think, uh, is there any public here tonight? Well, we're not done. Oh, we have the program. We have 63 degrees. Yes. I'm sorry. What did you say? We still have the strategic plan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Damon. <laughs> okay, you're up next, Sanji. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so hopefully some of you had a chance to look at this ahead of time. Um, it sounds like Mark may have not received the packet yet and may not be able to see it. So I'll do a bit of reading. Um, as we go through and um, so I guess just uh, by way of um, some background you know we we gathered for our retreat what really went into this document was looking at the themes and priorities that we identified from the retreat the pillars which are again those kind of ambulatory concepts access quality sustainability equity that we tend to um, tie our initiatives to um, within within the ambulatory leadership. 
Um, and then, and then you all provided some, um, you know, beyond those sort of themes that are important to us and the pillars, you all also provided some ideas around potential strategic goals and ways of measuring or monitoring those goals. So we took those, um, and, and then also matched up against our current work. And what I really tried to do was spread that out over three years, given that this is a three year process and, and tried to be more specific about what it is we are working on, you know, in the, in the nearer term over this next year um, versus more general about the things that we might work on in, in the future. And my hope today is really that we can go through the, um, the three kind of areas of the st three bigger strategic goals, kind of conceptual goals, and just hear feedback from you all because, um, my hope is that, you know, depending upon how close we are, either in the next meeting or the following meeting, um, we can bring you all a, you know, a final um, document um, that, you know, that has the support of, um, you know, ideally all of the co-applicant board, but certainly a majority of the boards that, so that Heather and I can move forward and, and begin trying to implement the strategic plan. Um, so again, I, you know, I'm just planning to go through kind of one goal at a time today with you all and hear as much feedback as possible. Um, and, and that's what I'm hoping to do. Any, any questions or comments on that before we jump in? Okay, great. Let's just go to uh, the first page. Actually, we'll start with the mission statement there. So um, we had basically unanimous agreement on this format for the mission statement with one suggestion about a change from integrated to comprehensive. So we basically just adopted the suggested change and the agreed upon format, which is built on the National Healthcare for the Homeless um, mission, um, you know, and, and very much folks like Gigi kind of contributed to, to this, the ethos behind this mission. Um, so it says grounded in human rights and social justice. The AHS Homeless Health Center provides comprehensive and accessible services to ensure that all Alameda County residents, regardless of their current housing situation, can be physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually healthy. And then there's an additional statement just to really ensure that um, we're aligned with Alameda Health System. So, you know, the Homeless Health Center undertakes our mission in strong support of the overall mission of Alameda Health System, which is caring, healing, teaching, serving all. And certainly there's elements of our specific mission that really correspond to that, that broader mission of, uh, of, of Alameda Health System. So I'd love to hear if this still is resonating for folks or if there are any, any other you know, changes people would suggest we consider at this, at this point in time before, the, um, before we approve the final version of this mission. everything that we talked about in our meeting we just changed some of the wording to make it um, I think more relevant to what we want to do or say I'm okay yeah the one that I presented okay great yeah the one I presented said provides integrated and accessible services and we switched that to comprehensive and accessible sure. services Yeah. 
need to belabor okay. it. We have plenty of other stuff to talk about. We can go to the next place. Um, so, Brenda, you can go to the next page. So this is the first strategic goal. And I, I did try to put these in order of, uh, of kind of priority and importance for us, or, you know, especially what we're going to work on earlier. Um, so this first goal is broadly stated um, so that we can, you know, again, this is going to be a living document. So if, if the co-applicant board sees new opportunities, sees new challenges, wants to change, we can change elements of this. And so the, the strategic goals are laid out in a broad way, and then we sort of get more specific as we go down each page. So the, the strategic goal here is maximize the care that people experiencing homelessness receive for acute and chronic illnesses at the earliest opportunity and in the locations and settings that work best for them. Um, and the themes that this is related to that we, that we prioritized were taking advantage of high points of contact locations for care and connection, dropping in slash on demand, partnership with others, and primary care model of care even in urgent care. And the primary pillar is access um, that this is connected to in, in ambulatory. So I'll just pause there. Any, any comments on this, this overall goal? Does it make sense to folks? Um, anything, yeah, affirming or, or you know, um, or constructive would be great. Yes, it makes sense. Um, to me, it makes perfect sense. Um, I think it's pretty direct, and I think it's uh, I think it's easy to understand. So, anything that I'm not 100% clear on is the primary care model of care, even in urgent care. Can you explain that to me? That was a theme that we discussed. Um, and it was the, that was what was on literally on the sticky um, that was in in the retreat. Um, uh, I might, we might not put that actually in the final version that you all approved, but I wanted to put the themes here to draw the connection between the conversation we had at the retreat. So I okay. think the conversation there was about how when we see people in urgent care on mobile health or in urgent care, you know, at Highland, mm -hmm. we're often just taking care of the urgent issue. But I think some of what we talked about was could we could we take care of chronic illnesses too? Could we build relationships in those settings? Could we do something more than just taking care of whatever is urgent for people and could we structure our program to do that? I think that's what the theme was related to in, in our discussion. So that's why I tried yeah. to capture that in the idea that we just maximize what we do whenever we have a chance to do it, you know, uh -huh. in the places that are easiest for people. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Great. So the, the strategies under this goal, um, the first one is about um, expanding the scope of services at our sites that currently provide drop-in services. So this is where this is sort of taking the second part of this, the locations and settings that work best. People are already dropping in. We're already seeing people who experience homelessness in these settings, and we want to maximize the care in those settings. Um, so we're talking about really initially focusing on uh, adding dental services and mobile health, which is something that we're already working on now. You know, we have built into our um, proposed budget for next year already, um, and it fits with this theme pretty strongly that we want to put more care into the places where we're already seeing people who are dropping in. The second strategy is to support expanding the volume and scope of services at partner locations 
currently providing drop-in services um, with an initial focus on the Bridge Clinic. So this is sites that, like the Bridge Clinic is mm -hmm. not a homeless health center site. So the question right. for us, how can we partner with them so that they can do the same thing? People are already dropping in. How do we maximize the care? And then the third strategy is really framed in a more exploratory and kind of open-ended way, which is to explore opportunities to expand the availability of drop-in primary care tailored to people experiencing homelessness at AHS wellness centers. So this is more about um, making the settings work better for people who are getting comprehensive care already. Because what we've seen in, in our system that we talked about at the retreat, you know, was we're not serving people who are, not serving very many people who are street homeless or living in shelters in our wellness centers currently. Um, so this is about how do we think about trying to build more accessible um, locations and settings that work best for people experiencing homelessness inside mm -hmm. our wellness centers, right? It's a, it's a little bit of the inverse. But again, this one's framed, yeah. this one's framed you know, as the third bullet, I think purposefully and really around exploring opportunities. I think it's much less clear compared to dental and bridge clinic where I think we have immediate opportunities in front of us that I'd love for, you know, I'd love to be held accountable to us trying to trying to build on those opportunities. I think this other area is less clear and, you know, Heather and I will need to do some exploring first. Um, I'll actually go through the whole rest of this and then we can we can have discussion then because I think the milestones okay. kind of tie in. So the um, and I, I think I might just try to summarize milestones and measures for you all and, and, you know, get broad feedback that I can then try to put into the details of them. These are framed on a quarterly basis. So usually the milestones are like, the idea would be we would come back to you and we could tell you each quarter what we're expecting to hit as a milestone the next quarter. And, that, you know, we still have to conduct the regular business of the health center every month in these meetings. So this would kind of create a quarterly rhythm to following up on this plan. So the idea is that by next um, April, we're you know partnering with Bridge Clinic um, to develop a proposal for the future, and then really through the budget process next year, we're getting both Dental and Bridge Clinic into the Alameda Health System's budget with your approval as a co-applicant board and the Board of Trustees' approval to to do some expansion, so that we're actually providing you know, a bigger scope of services in those locations and solidifying the number of people and growing the number of people that we're able to serve in those locations. So the milestones are really around around that. And then that last bullet is really TBD timelines kind of connected to the exploring the opportunities that over the next couple of years, we would try to explore similar, you know, proposals um, that would expand drop-in capacity and utilization across the homeless health center. Um, but we don't really know where those specific sites are the way we already know about Bridge Clinic and, and Mobile Health. Um, and the measures we'd use are measures that were proposed actually by you all in the retreat. So drop-in capacity and utilization at the Homeless Health Center. Um, how, are we, how do we actually look at what capacity we have for this was something that board member Angel proposed. Um, and then drop-in and drop-in capacity and utilization at our partner locations, which aren't really health center sites, but I think we part, you know, we have an opportunity to partner more strongly with places where, um, what do we say, take advantage of the high points of contact at our locations, right, of care and connection. Um, so that's kind of the the broad approach for um, achieving those uh, this this strategic goal um, over the next year, really specifically, and then more generally over the next three years. Um, Damon, if I remember correctly. Um, Please correct me if I'm wrong. 
But under strategies, the third one wasn't that. The basic idea was to see if our primary care clinic could um, could make itself available, for example, two nights a week as a drop-in clinic. Wasn't that the, the point yeah, of that? that? That's a great example of an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that for, for us as a staff right now is more in an exploratory phase. I wouldn't know who the identified partner is to work on that with, for example. Whereas, you know, for the dental opportunity we're facing right now, it's clearly Dr. Ng and Dr. Hall. For Bridge Clinic, it's clearly Dr. Herring. Um, they're already engaged. You know, we're already in conversations. I think that would be a fantastic idea, right? We can have evening drop-in clinics. Um, I think the medical directors at this point are often working on things that are much more sort of baseline core core functions of their current clinics right now. And so that's something that over the next couple of years, I'd love to explore and figure out mm -hmm. who we can find a partner with to try to get a, a, a more firm proposal about that. Right. Okay. Any other comments or thoughts on this one? Absolutely. Okay, great. I'll read strategic goal number two is um, this one's actually a bit a field from what we talked about. Um, and and um, so anyway, it says ensure sustainable funding and infrastructure to support existing and expanded services. And the related themes are need to address disparities and partnership with other. And the primary pillar is one that we did not prioritize as a co-applicant board. So this is one where the staff, you know, we really took initiative to lift this up in spite of the fact that it wasn't directly tied to our conversation at the retreat. I think because we felt like we really can't do much that um, we talked about in the retreat unless we can do this. You know, we're, right. we're pretty much at capacity as a staff right now just operating the program that we have. And if we want to expand things and do more things and bring in drop-in or whatever, we're, we're going to have to really focus on, in particular, the financial sustainability, um, but also I think our reporting structure and, you know, what sorts of capabilities and competencies we have as a staff and, and as a co-applicant board. Um, so the, the strategies in this one are to maximize our payment rates for the homeless health center and ambulatory visits, um, to identify and pursue sustainable sources of supplemental non-visit-based revenue, um, and to add financial expertise to the co-applicant board and to the homeless health center staff. So I'm really curious about your thoughts as a co-applicant board on this one, because as I said, it, it is pretty divergent from, it's closely related. Obviously, Heather and I think it's very closely related to what we talked about, but it's not, you know, it, it wasn't like this, is, this was the topic of conversation for most of the retreat. So mm -hmm. definitely want to hear if this is like out of left field, resonates, you know, what you all are thinking. One of the things that we had talked about some time ago was to ask for more money from our funding sources. And that would help um, substantiate funds for us if we can get more funding from our primary funding sources. Well, yeah, didn't we, Damon, isn't that why we sent that letter? I 
sent that letter to Alameda County to um, ask them to consider us um, or to hear our voice in uh, how the money that they um, get is distributed. That was one of the things we talked about. Yes, um, yes I think that's, that, yeah. that's what I understood to be the cab's interest. In yeah. That. Absolutely that, yeah. Yeah, so that, you know, they don't pick a number necessarily. I mean, we need to agree with that number, I would say, um, and have conversation if it if there was a big discrepancy in it. Yes, and I think this is an area where, for example, identifying suing sustainable sources of supplemental revenue. So I, for example, presented, you know, information about money coming in from the federal government for, you know, new programs about Measure W, right, the the right. Uh, tax proposal that passed locally in Alameda County and how much revenue that. So we've done some, you know, loose presentation of um, some supplemental funding sources, for example. We've talked very little about our revenue from billing, um, actually, in as the co-applicant board. And I think um, this this proposal is really that we would do that in more involved ways and particular, particularly add capacity to do that. Um, so that rather than just saying, oh, here's some potential funding sources that are exciting and interesting that, you know, we're, we can talk about in the, in the, so that we have situational awareness uh -huh. medical director report, you know, how do we really, and, and beyond you writing broad letters of general uh -huh. support to our standing funders, you know, as a co-applicant board, how do we, start to apply, you know, real pressure, start to make really good financial cases that the place to invest is in us um, for this reason or that reason, you know, based on strong analysis and strong strategic understanding of the financial landscape, which I think is something that we could, we could use more expertise both in the staff and on the co-applicant board. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. One day a week or two days a week? Um, 
who's funding okay. that? You know, is that considered part of the homeless health care's budget? You know, to to have her at the wellness center two days a week or whatever it is. Heather, I think, can answer that question in, in more detail, but I think one, one way to understand that that's important is everyone who's at Eastmont is part of the Homeless Health Center budget already, right? Oh. And, and I think we, okay. we think about the mobile health van a lot because that's our grant budget, but the Homeless Health Center is the entire set of sites and services oh, okay. and scope. So, you know, it. Yeah. I think the, the question the, the question you might be asking is how do we represent her from one portion of our budget compared to another portion of our budget as a homeless health center? But right. every single yeah. person at Eastmont Wellness Center is part of the homeless health center budget already. Okay. Gotcha. here for you all and see if you have any any specific thoughts on is that the measures uh, I'm proposing actually rather than so on a on an annual basis we're required to pass an annual budget in a certain format mm -hmm. um, that we've passed and we talked in that conversation about that budget when we passed it about whether that was how we actually wanted to monitor our finances and what I'm proposing here is that we we monitor them actually in a way that's closer to how Alameda Health System is monitoring its finances. Mm -hmm. And then and then we kind of, are, we, we just look at the proportion of people experiencing homelessness. So that rather than look at, you know, our own budget, which is quite transformed in order to fit into HRSA's framework multiple mm -hmm. times a year, we just look at that once a year and we do a good job for HRSA to get that done. But to manage the business of the health center, we actually look at the budget to actual ambulatory revenue and expenses, which is, which is basically all of our homeless health center activities are within ambulatory. And then we look at the proportion of ambulatory utilization that's people experiencing homelessness. So what we'll be able to see is rather than a homeless health center budget going up or down, what's happening to the ambulatory budget and what's happening to people experiencing homelessness? Are we becoming a bigger part of you know, the, the ambulance, is the homeless health center becoming a bigger part of the ambulatory services, a smaller yeah, part, yeah. Higher, why not? That I think that might make more sense to us as a board to, for, to look at, you know, repeatedly compared to the more transformed, you know, um, budget that we looked at to, to approve for HRSA. Um, okay. And then I think we would try to analogize that with, you know, with capital spending, um, with a little difference in that, you know, I propose focusing more on the specific capital funding that we have that's really dedicated to the mobile health program because we do manage that capital funding in a different way than, than the, you know, the capital for the broad homeless health center is, is managed. So does that yeah. resonate and make sense to you all? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. I just think a, a couple of things could be worded a little bit differently. You know, by all means, what what do you want to but, what do you what would you um, want to be different? Remember, we were talking about um, uh, where is it now? Um, oh, I, was it this one? Explore opportunities to expand the availability of drop-in primary care tailored to people experiencing homelessness. Where was that the one? 
the page before. Or no, under the milestones, I think. Develop additional budget proposals to expand homeless health center drop-in capacity and utilization for people experiencing homelessness. Okay. Um, drop-in where? Are we talking about drop-in to the primary care clinic, which you're trying to, you know, get them involved in, or, or drop-in to the mobile van? It's without regard to either of those. I think, I think okay. the reason I left it open um, was because I don't know where our biggest opportunities are. Right now, mm -hmm. our biggest opportunities and partners seem to be in places that are already seeing people experiencing homelessness more, and our wellness centers um, are undertaking a number of other initiatives that are really challenging and difficult and important. And, um, you know, at this moment in time, it's not, I wouldn't clearly identify that we should push at the wellness centers when I think there's other ways we could, you know, we could really, other places we can really focus at this moment in time. But, you know, certainly I, I want our wellness centers to do that. And so I left it open, you know, to kind of focus in that way. But if you, if you all want to guide us more narrowly, like this is absolutely the, the place to say that and the time to have that conversation. I think we should leave it a little more broad because we really don't know where they're coming from. So let's leave it broad. Other ideas? Um, uh, Damon, is that something that we need to, um, to decide at this, this particular point? Is it something that we need to decide um, tonight, or is it something uh, that we can uh, ponder, at least for a minute, um, before deciding, um, deciding on it? There's no decisions that need to be made tonight. I think it's helpful. What's helpful for me is strong statements like, uh, like B's statement, that I would like to see it left broad. Um, even though that, that's not a decision there, like hearing people's opinions, knowing that you can, you absolutely all can change your opinion before you decide on this. And once we decide on this, it's easy for you all to direct us to bring it back to edit it. This is going to be a living document that we bring and that's why it's short. <laughs> so we actually read it and work from it and it, it means something to us. Um, so you'll have opportunities to change it. So there's no, there's no speaking yeah. power forever hold your peace to this, but it is, it's helpful if there are substantive disagreements around the strategy to, or, 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 you know, concerns or excitement to actually surface that um, so that we can use it to drive forward. So that's really what's, what's really helpful for, you know, for me and Heather as staff is to hear those kinds of things like what B just said. But that doesn't mean B can't say next month, I completely disagree with what I said last month and here's why. Yeah, I, under strategies, um, <laughs> I'm going back to this one again. Number three, the exploring opportunities to expand the availability. For some reason, I don't think that that's worded correctly, or it doesn't. It sounds kind of um, awkward. I don't know. What do you? That's just my opinion. Do you have any suggestions about how to make it better or what, what is it about it that's awkward for you? Could you say anything, just another level of detail there? Um, 
Yeah, this is this is talking about um, directing our homeless patients to the wellness center, right? Uh, it's not it's not directed towards wellness centers. So can we go back to um, Brenda? Can you go back to strategic goal number one? Because I think we're talking about number one right now. For opportunities to expand the availability of drop-in primary care, yes. tailored to people experiencing homelessness at HS wellness centers. Okay. okay. So it is. It is that one is actually framed in the wellness center. Sorry. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's okay, right? I that think. I think that's, that's okay. okay. That's what the explore is. Yeah. 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 Okay. The ones above that are really that we would start doing it. <laughs> you know, that we would, yeah. we yeah. would expand the scope is like a commitment. We're not going to explore an opportunity. We're going to expand the scope. Right. And, and then the second one is we're going to support a partner. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're going to support a partner to expand the volume and scope of services. Now, I mean, I think in the milestones for that, the partner would potentially and hopefully become part of our scope. Um, and yeah. then we would no longer think of, of the Bridge Clinic as a partner, but as part of the Homeless Health Center, the way we think of Eastmont as part of the Homeless Health Center. Um, and so so those are really worded for us yeah. to start moving on them now, whereas the third one is, is more worded toward figure out how we can move on this. Mm-hmm. And and that's purposeful. It may it, it may be awkward, but it was purposeful. You might be identifying something that, from my perspective, was purposeful, and from from your perspective as a cab, you can absolutely tell me like, no, we want you to move on that too, or instead of other things. I think. No, as I, I mean, I like I like that one. I think that's a good one. You know, I think like we discussed. You know, having just like in case case six now. There's two nights a week, right? Is to Dr. Diaz and and what are those night appointments used for again? There's a procedure clinic in the evenings. I don't know what the oh. other ones use, but I think I that's exactly the kind of thinking right. that is in that explore bucket. Absolutely. Yeah, is that's like, what I was What's going on at yeah. night? When can we use this space? What can we do with it? And I think in those cases, we we really do need to explore. We really do need to like widen our view, talk to more people, kind of understand better. Whereas in the other spaces. We need to get yeah. pencil on the van. We've already started doing it, and we we got to go. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. Is that still sounding awkward to you, or? No, no, not, no, not really, not really. No, it's okay. It's and okay. Kayla, is it okay for people to send me individually or send us individually? comments after this meeting as board members? You could have you could have comments, yes, and then again the next meeting was presented as a draft. And so the next we could if people sent comments in between, we would not be able to present a final document for an up or down vote. We'd have to wait another meeting to do that. That's my understanding, but I can check back and let you know on that. Okay. I think since there's not members here, I, I, you know, I would, uh, I, I think we'll take that under advisement and maybe, maybe ask for that, you know, especially since we have some members who aren't here. Right. Oh yeah. True. Okay, great. Let's, uh, okay. just, Brenda, can you go back to strategic goal two and make sure there's, um, 
not any other thoughts that we missed there. It sounds like folks were aligned with the idea of presenting the ambulatory budget and expense as a whole um, to the extent mm -hmm. the organization shares that with us. They need to share it with us to develop our own budget, frankly. So um, I think it's just a much more meaningful thing to present, even though, you know, that's not the thing that we approve annually. I think it, it is the thing that we can look at to understand what's happening in a much mm -hmm. better way. about the whole idea of this is like the second thing like this is this is not what we spend a lot of time talking about but it's what we need in order to get done the things we spend a lot of time talking about do you all buy that or do you feel like no
Yeah, we don't have this. I don't have we'll, a copy we'll of anything you guys were we'll saying. We'll resend the draft, Mark. I think we're at a very high level of discussion that is about the entire draft. So I think we can send right. that to you and, and, and solicit the, your, your feedback. Yeah, can I would that. Can we wait one moment? We may have quorum in a minute. I've, oh. okay. I've just requested that somebody join us, and she said, yes, give me one minute. So um, okay. I asked Lucia to join us so that we can have quorum back. Damon? Yes. When my my sister's at San Leandro Hospital, she's been there, I had to take her there Sunday. And um, while I was waiting, they wouldn't let me go in, you know, to the doctor with her. So I was sitting in the waiting room and I was uh, watching the, uh, the service representative that was, you know, uh, checking in patients. Um, there were quite a few, I guess San Leandro Hospital deals with quite a few from Cherry Hill and um, they have to go and be checked before they can actually go into the program, okay, a program, whatever. And what I thought was interesting is that um, he um, asked or, or, or mentioned to two of the people that I saw that were um, needing to go into a program. He mentioned the bridge program to them and explained it to them, told them that it, you know, it was national program and blah, 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 blah. And would they be interested in having someone speak to them, speak, yeah, to them um, about possibly being part of it. So uh, they're doing a lot of, um, I don't want to say advertising, but they're doing a lot of mentioning of that at San Leandro, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, I, and San Leandro does, Get a lot of walk-in homeless, you know, and a lot of walk-in um, drug users, things like that. It's interesting. And yeah. just like that, we have a quorum again. Uh -huh. Lucia is logging on right now, so we'll give her. Thank you so much, Lucia, for being present. Um, Hi, folks. Hi, Lucia. Thank you, Lucia. I'm so sorry. I know it's a rough no. day. No. You're good. This is actually okay time. We're, we're towards the end of the agenda, so it won't yeah. be long. <laughs> we're on strategic goal number two. Um, Damon, are you ready to pick back up? Before, sorry, before Damon proceeds, I know this is it is awkward, but can we please do a roll call just so we have yes. it? Yes. A quorum was reestablished. Okay, sure. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Neha Banger, Lucia Angel, here. B. Franks Walker, here. Richard Hervey Jr., Richard Hervey Jr., Eric Murphy, 
Mark Smith. Here. Khalil Toke. And Ali Yassin. And just to, um, just to clarify also, Richard is here at the meeting. Um, he is just on silence right now. Okay, I, yeah, okay, good. He's visibly present. Okay, thank you. Okay. So we were um, just talking about uh, the second strategic goal here in the, in the draft strategic plan. And I think the question I had for all of you was just uh, high level gut check around. We didn't really talk about sustainability or finances much in the retreat, but um, Heather and I have really chosen to lift up sustainability and finances in the strategic plan because it's pretty important to do anything else that we talked about in the retreat. And I was asking if that broadly made sense to co-applicant board members, if people wanted to you know, ask more questions about that or complicate that in any way, um, what, the, what the thoughts were around, hey, where did this come from? Or yes, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, this is Mark. I think for me personally, it makes, um, it makes sense. I agree, it makes sense to me too. Yeah, I know we'll be discussing this a little more in the future. I have a feeling. Good. Okay. That that's okay. helpful for me. Yeah. I think we can go to the next uh, strategic goal area. This is probably the least fleshed out. Um, so it's uh, create strong and lasting relationships between care teams and people experiencing homelessness at every opportunity by following up on identified housing and primary care needs. So this is really related to the, the prioritized themes of follow-up, homeless prevention, and partnership with others, and uh, related to the primary pillar of quality. Um, I think the idea is, you know, that we, we center relationships, which I think came up a lot in our retreat, but that our specific mechanism of doing that is, you know, to say to someone every time we see them, like, what's going on with your housing? Oh, did you get a place? You know, um, uh -huh. what can we do to help you with that? You know, what about this thing that we talked about last time? Are you still doing that? And I think similarly, you know, what's going on with your doctor? Do you have a regular doctor? How's that going? How can I help you? Uh -huh. That those are the places where we center the care and the and the follow-up and the idea that we're still part of your story um yeah so that's 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 the kind of way that i i tried to frame this goal and the the strategies are to improve navigation to primary care from some of those drop-in sites where we know we're we're seeing more folks who are more vulnerable among people experiencing homelessness urgent care mm -hmm. mobile health bridge clinic and then to really support our partner programs in doing the housing assistance work they're doing, um, particularly the health advocates and the complex care management team. Um, you heard from the complex care management team earlier. I think you've heard about the health advocates um, before, if, if not seen a presentation from them. Um, okay. And the, the milestones and measures in this area are pretty, the milestones at least are just TBD, I think because the idea is that we would focus more in the first year of the plan on the first two strategic goals. Um, and 
and and then on developing the measures, which is I think where we're going to need to leverage the quality folks within ambulatory. How do we actually measure referrals to housing assistance and other related housing supports? And how can we double down and get better on how we're measuring connections to primary care? Um, this is something we already obviously do within mobile health, but I think with our dental pilot and with the Eastmont pilot with Wanda, we're, we're learning that there's a lot more nuance that we could get into here as well. And so I think some of the early work here will also be, you know, developing those measures in connection with things we're already doing for the other strategic goals, but that then can apply across the system. How do you know you're following up with people on, on yeah. primary care? So that's this, that's this overall goal and, and kind of where it's, where it sits right now and would love, again, feedback, whether it's on the affirmation side or the blow it up, this is crazy. How come my goal didn't make it inside? Uh, Damon, can you repeat that last part? I was just saying any feedback you have is welcome, including since this is the last strategic goal, like, how come this isn't a goal? Like I thought this was going to be something that we focused on or like this one doesn't resonate with me at all. Or, you should cut out this part of it. I mean, feel free to be heavily critical. That's all I was trying to say. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, the, 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 I believe uh, being the last point about uh, uh, one of our strategic goals being a little bit uh, not as fleshed out. And, and that was about partnerships. And um, the question I have, and you may not be able to answer this, and um, I'm, if you can't answer this, I think we should maybe invite to our group um, uh, some other legal voices in the hospital about this issue. Uh, my question is, in establishing partnerships, uh, what I wonder about is what legal uh, what legal frame, is there a legal framework in which we have to work in or work within regarding partnerships? Because some hospitals have very certain rules about working with other entities, period, as a medical body. And I'm just wondering whether or not that might be true here, especially being a county public hospital. There might be, there might be some unforeseen restrictions or rules governing uh, actual real partnerships. And I'm just wondering, uh, do you find that to be true, or do you know that to be true, or is that something we should investigate? It's not, I think you're right, that there are you know, really important um, laws around conflict of interest. Um, you know, in particular, there may be other areas that are, that are really important that sort of structure the relationships between healthcare organizations and, and other organizations. I think it's, it hasn't shown up so much in, in our work. Um, you know, the partners that we've listed here, many of them are internal partners to Alameda Health System. So they're, they're mm -hmm. functioning inside the same organization, complex care management, right. you know, as an example, Bridge Clinic and, you know, Dr. Herring's group, mm -hmm. ER is an example. They're in our same organization. So we're not really, you know, dealing with any legal issues that involve organization to organization. And then I think our other, you know, important partners are the county, Healthcare for the Homeless Program, the Office of Homeless Care and Coordination, who we heard from again tonight. And I think, you know, we've done a lot of work over the last few years to set up 
you know, what those agreements look like. We have a co-applicant agreement between you all and the Board of Trustees, and we have a, a recipient agreement, and, we, you know, we have Kayla here who's doing that. So I think in those cases where we have our most important external partners, we have pretty strong legal and regulatory frameworks to support the types of partnerships we need to have. So I don't, I don't find that to be the biggest barrier. I think for me the challenge is really um, – how do we how do we balance you know thinking about homelessness as something we're doing that's special versus thinking about something that you know everyone at Eastmont is part of the homeless health center already, and 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 you know in what sense is each of those perspectives on our health center relevant for our potential partners? I think that's a bigger challenge. Like when do we want to be a special program and when do we want to be we're all of us? You know and how to. How does that structure how you partner with people? When I asked that question, uh, I was mainly thinking, um, even though I didn't say it, uh, I was thinking more in the realm of of, of housing. You know, uh, the, the, uh, the 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 confluence of of, of what we do medically, uh, but then going the extra mile uh, to possibly find uh, temporary housing. Permanent housing, or uh, hospice, or outside uh, hospice care, um, or recovery care uh, for homeless folks, and whether or not any of that, in regards to those particular issues regarding housing, where that conflicts with any with any uh, legal aspects regarding the hospital in terms of outside. Uh, referrals to those kinds of those kinds of services. Yeah, so that's a great that 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 helps me and that really clarifies the, the question. I think there I would say the biggest challenges are absolutely information sharing challenges um, and laws around what types of information can be shared with who, when. Um, we do have some structures in the county that are set up to really tackle some of those challenges, like the social health information exchange, which Carrie mentioned earlier, uh, which creates carved out HIPAA protected entities within the housing system. Uh, but there are a lot of difficulties actually in those, in those types of partnerships that relate to the legal frameworks for information sharing. And those, those we, we already have, you know, the complex care management team has a whole set of processes and policies around how you submit applications to get in those kinds of queues that would get you into the tiny homes program that, you know, um, Carrie was talking about earlier, but it remains, um, something that's really thorny and difficult and may need to be resourced. Um, so I, I appreciate that that point a lot, Mark. Um, Damon, I just want to follow up on strategic goal number three. Um, so one of the related themes was homeless uh, prevention. So I remember we had talked about at the retreat. Uh, I think one of the slides was um, identifying people who are kind of in in uh in danger of becoming homeless um so i think in terms of kind of this goal i wonder you know and i think also something we've talked about in the past has been you know we're not we don't know how well we are identifying people experiencing homelessness at the different levels uh, and so I wonder if one thing we could, in terms of measurement or maybe milestone, would be um, if there was 
a way we could focus on better capturing kind of people's um, housing situation um, so that we could identify people kind of in that, you know, not maybe wouldn't in per se identify as homeless and like, them, you know, live in their car or their street sense, but kind of in the broader definition would be unstably housed um, and kind of, I think just even identifying that would be kind of part of this relationship, just kind of get them early on in the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that it fits well under the broad headline um, because of course for us, people experiencing homelessness includes people experiencing housing insecurity because the HRSA definition yeah. of homelessness includes that. And then I think as a measure, we could, we could frame either an additional bullet or some language related to the first bullet that adds to that. I think, it, you know, it's, it's really essential work to do the identify, identification in order to provide housing assistance. Yeah. Um, so, but it, I think it does bear calling out because I think, I'm not sure like when Carrie comes, for example, that she thinks of us as a place that's really capable of doing that. Yeah. Um, and I think if we call it out specifically, it might it might do a lot to sort of create that formality around people understanding that that's something that we. Can do.